Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, September the 19th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. This week, the mayor shared his thoughts on the provincial government's reintroduction of restrictions to battle COVID-19 and the newly announced vaccine exemption program, and he didn't hold back. Next, we catch up with David Aiken, Global News Chief Political Correspondent. With just three days until the federal election, we get the latest from the campaign trail, which is certain to heat up on the final stretch to Monday. Then we had state side for a conversation with Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief, and we get some details on the right-wing rally taking place Saturday at the Capitol Building in Washington. And finally, it's your chance to lend a hand to those in need. What you need to know about the Calgary Food Bank's citywide food drive this weekend. Calgary City Council met for the final time this week and joining us to reflect on his time in office and lots more is Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Good morning, friends. Mayor, you have been very outspoken during this pandemic and and really not holding back yesterday. You had some pretty harsh words for Premier Jason Kenney, his government and his most recent policies on combating this fourth wave of COVID. You called this the most incompetent you've seen in regards to this government. As a mayor who's not running in the upcoming municipal election, does that play into you feeling like you're able to to really, you know, say what you think and kind of call out people and, and organizations that aren't doing what they should be doing? Well, you know, I've always been like that. Everyone's like, ooh, Nenshi unplugged, Nenshi unfiltered. <laughs> but my mouth has always got me in trouble. The only problem right now is there is a lot to call out. And I hate being this way because I want to be collaborative with everybody. But really, I've had six premiers. I've had two prime ministers. I've worked with dozens of big city mayors. I wear purple every day because I work with red and blue and orange. And the depths of incompetence of this government are like nothing I've ever seen. They just don't know what they're doing. Um, They don't have a plan. They're making it up as they go along. They're throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what hits. They are winding themselves up in knots and trying to thread the needle and trying to please the tiny minority of Albertans, maybe outsized influence in their caucus, I don't know, rather than just doing the right thing for businesses and for citizens. And it's really disappointing. You know, even at our council meeting this week, we've got a few council members, you know, Councillor Farkas, Councillor Chu, Councillor Maglioka, who just parrot what the provincial government says and defend Jason Kenney at every turn. And even this week, they were silent. You know, as recently as last week, Councillor Farkas was arguing against mask mandates and vaccine mandates. Um, He called it borderline criminal. He was using the language of anti-vaxxers. And this week, as we see our healthcare system on the verge of collapse, as we see 24 people dying in one day, they were oddly silent. Let's talk about, you know, one of the greatest knocks uh, toward... uh the provincial government was the timing and, and why did we drag our heels or wait so long to, to try to make a difference? Now that that's passed, we, we know that we the timing was less than stellar. Let's leave it at that. But what else would you have liked to have seen from the provincial government? Have they gone far enough at this point? You know, uh, 80% of Albertans are vaccinated. It needs to be higher. But 80% of us have made that choice. And in a recent poll, 77% of people, so let's call it all vaccinated people, said, listen, I'm vaccinated. Don't restrict my freedoms. Put in a simple vaccine passport like everywhere else is doing so that I can continue to support businesses, go to restaurants, knowing I'm safe because the people next to me are vaccinated. 
It's not a new thing. It's not a hard thing. Everybody's doing it. Provinces announced this months ago, and they just couldn't get their heads around saying the vaccine passports. They came up with this 1984 George Orwell restriction exemptions program. I can't even remember those letters in the right order because they're gobbledygook. But the idea is now they're putting it back on the businesses again to develop their own processes to figure out how to do it. And by the way, if you don't, we may or may not close you today or at some point in the future. Totally unfair, incredibly cruel to these businesses that have been through a lot already. Instead of having a simple system saying, this is the rule, this is what you're expected to follow, this is how many days you have to implement it. And by the way, here's some financial support for the staff you're gonna need to hire to check the vaccines at the door. This is straightforward. Everyone has done it, except for Alberta. And the premier, because he had talked himself out of a vaccine passport, just couldn't bring himself to say it. Uh, You know, I I know I'm sounding unnecessarily mean, but I tell you that that press conference will be taught in communications classrooms for decades as an example of exactly what not to do. Mayor, uh, we'd love to hear more of your comments. Can you hang on for a couple of minutes? Just go to commercial and come back. Perfect. Thank you very much. Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi after the break. 820 Mornings with Sue and Andy Moore with Mayor Nahed Nenshi sticking around with us here. And I've got a question for you, Mr. Mayor, on the text line. I'm just going to read it verbatim. It's from Carol. Carol says, when the mayor is on this morning, could you ask him, please ask him why he pushed so hard to have the stampede? What's your response to that? Well, I didn't push that hard to have the stampede. That was the premier. Um, What I did push very hard for was to have the safest possible stampede. Mm -hmm. And what is interesting about... Uh, that is the one thing that the Premier would not agree to was to keep the mask mandate in place for those couple of weeks so that the indoor events at the Stampede would be masked and it would be just a little bit safer. I also pushed the Stampede board hard uh, to have the demonstration of the vaccine passport used at Nashville North, uh, which works brilliantly. Um, But again, the province didn't pick up on that. So, you know, there is an argument to be made that back in July, uh, we wanted to lift some health restrictions uh, and allow people who had been vaccinated to get a little bit more freedom to encourage other people to get vaccinated. And when we look at the history of the pandemic, every time we put in the restrictions, it kills one of the waves. It is very clear. It's just look at the graph. But the problem is every single time the province has come off too quickly, They haven't waited until the graph bottoms out before they pull the restrictions and other ways are created. And this July, yes, we should have lifted restrictions. We should have allowed businesses to open. But to lift everything all at once when there were still hot embers, at that time, we said this wasn't going to work. And when the premier says no one could have predicted this, many, many people predicted this. Uh, And that was really the challenge. So it wasn't so much not having the stampede at all but it was having the stampede with no restrictions at all so we could have the best summer ever. And this was really an error. And, you know, I want to really say one other thing, which is, look, I know everyone's mad. I'm mad, as you can tell. I know everyone is sad. I have allowed myself to have moments where I am overcome with grief for the people we've lost uh, in their families and for the exhausted healthcare workers. And I know everyone is disappointed. But ultimately, we have to move forward. We have to support businesses. We have to be kind to the people working in those businesses. And I really want people to know something. 
For better or for worse, we have a lot of experience in Calgary in dealing with disasters and emergencies. Our emergency management people are, no word of exaggeration, the best in the world. And so put your feelings about the provincial government in a drawer, please. And if you're a small business, just act as if they had done the right thing and put in a proper vaccine passport program. We will help you uh, at the city through templates and collateral material to help you figure out how to do that very quickly over the next couple of days. And I just want people to know your city government is here for you. We know what we're doing. We are going to help keep you safe. You have to do your end of the part and get your vaccination. Get it today uh, if you don't have it already. You've got to continue to operate in a safe manner, wear your mask, keep your distance. But we are here for you, and we will continue, regardless of any politics, to do everything we can to keep you safe. Mayor, we still have lots of questions, lots of things we want to talk to you about, so hoping you'll join us a couple more times before we hit the municipal election, but we thank you for your time this morning. I'm still the mayor for five and a half more weeks. Okay, good. We've got you for more weeks then. Perfect. Thank you so much, and thanks for your words. Uh, Have a great weekend. Thank you all. Have a good and a safe weekend, everyone. Absolutely. That is Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We're almost there. Election day, just a couple of sleeps away. Monday, obviously, and with the campaign in its final weekend, we're checking in with Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken. Good morning, David. Morning, guys. Okay, three days to go for campaigning politicians. What do you think we should be expecting through this weekend? I'll tell you what, Alberta's news is the country's news right now. The public health emergency in Alberta has hit the campaign trail in a big way. And that's because earlier this year, the conservative leader, Aaron O'Toole, the federal leader, uh, there's lots of video of him going around saying, Premier Jason Kenney, he got it right. He was the best one to manage the pandemic. Alberta led the country in managing the pandemic. And, of course, that whole assessment's been turned right on its head this week with, of course, Premier Kenney apologizing for getting it wrong. And uh, everybody in the country is taking note of uh, the very dire situation in Alberta hospitals right now. And so Justin Trudeau and the Liberals right now are trying to say, look, Jason Kenney equals Aaron O'Toole. Do you want that running your country's pandemic response? Um, if you take a look in Calgary Skyview right now, the liberal candidate there, the city councillor, George Hall, he's got a video out that's just, you know, I think is absolutely going to sway some votes in that part of the city where, again, he says O'Toole equals Kenny. We know that Kenny's own caucus is chirping away at him. Some, of course, in Calgary, some UCP members in Calgary are upset that Kenny didn't act sooner. And that plays right into the hands of the um, of the liberals and doesn't work to O'Toole's favor, not just in Alberta, but in the rest of the country. Conservatives want to have this, the ballot question, be all about the economic recovery. That's where they feel they're strongest. And so that, I think, is what you'll hear O'Toole try to focus on this last weekend. But, I mean, here's something else. A lot of people have already voted. It may not matter. We've got 5.8 million in-person advanced ballots already cast. 5.8 million people have voted. And another 700,000, 800,000 have voted by mail. And that compares to just 50,000 last time. So you think about it, we've got well over 6 million people who've cast a ballot in a country where we might get 16 million on a good election. In a pandemic election, it might be 15 million. So lots of ballots in the can right now. And I think uh, probably O'Toole's relieved about that mm. is, is the sense I get right now. We have three sleeps until the big day. They're all eyes on mm. the 20th. Uh, David, so you, you look back, and it's a short look back, but it'll end up just being 36 days when it, we're done and we make it to Monday. What's the biggest storyline that stands out for you as far as, you know, you remember uh, the biggest memory from the campaign? 
Well, it's got to be the fact that we're tied going into the end. I looked up the polls this morning from August 1st. August 1st. That wasn't so long ago. Justin Trudeau was ahead by 12 points, 10 points in some polls. Wow. And it was going to be a walk in the park to a majority for Trudeau. And uh, guess what? Campaigns matter. Canadians, as it turned out, were a little bit annoyed that they have to, are going having to go through this in the middle of a pandemic. So the fact that we're tied, we're, we are, you know, the Liberals... Uh, they might, in some on vote splits, eke out a majority, but I think we're looking at another liberal minority. And if that happens, I think we're going to see leadership questions for both the liberals mm. and the conservatives, because there's a lot of liberals who will look at Justin Trudeau and say, "Buddy, you blew a huge lead. You didn't get the majority. Maybe, maybe you've had enough. You've had three runs at it. Maybe that's enough." And there's going to be conservatives who will say to Aaron O'Toole, "You know, you had it. You could have beat Trudeau. Why didn't you?" They may look at the the rise of the People's Party, the rise of the Maverick Party, and say O'Toole has lost some quote conservative roots. Either way, I think leadership issues. We're going to be talking about those this time next week. David, other than Jason Kenney, and you maybe mentioned one of them, other wild cards you think might impact the outcome come Monday? I just mentioned the People's Party. It's really unclear how they're going to affect things. In Alberta, you know, particularly in rural Alberta, conservative MPs there, they can give up 10, 20,000 votes and still win because they win by so much. But the People's Party is going to eat into the conservative vote, certainly in Alberta and elsewhere in the country. We don't know by how much. And here's the other thing. The People's Party, we know is attracting younger people. Younger people tend not to vote. So will the People's Party uh, support actually show up at the polls? We don't know. That's one thing. Then there's the collapse of the Green Party. Uh, not so much, uh, Green Party really isn't a factor in Alberta, but it is in other parts of the country. But they're having all sorts of internal battles, infighting, uh, arguments about their leader right now. Uh, they're not running candidates in 86 ridings. 86 ridings without a green candidate. Where does that vote go? Mm-hmm. That vote tends to split between New Democrats and Liberals. Could affect some ridings in close races. So those are the real wild cards I'm looking at. PPC and GPC. And then sort of in your neck of the woods, Banff Airdrie. That's where Blake Richards, the incumbent conservative, is running. So he's dealing with the PPC. He's dealing with the Maverick. And he's got some guy from Ontario named Derek Sloan, who is also running mm-hmm. against him. And uh, who knows how that's going to play out. Again, Richards is one of those guys who won by such a wide margin in 2019 and has repeatedly. He could give up thousands of votes and still win. But again, it's a wild card there in, in Banff Airdrie. Well, David, we can follow the storylines. We can uh, speculate and we'll get some answers just in a few short days. In the meantime, get some rest. I think it's (laughs) going to be a busy one for you on Monday. I'm ready for it. Bring it on. There you go. Thanks so much, David. That's David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent with Global News. And as we do each and every Friday, we'll look at everything making news this week down south in the USA. We're joined by Global News Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Proskow. Good morning to you, Jackson. Good morning and happy Friday. Let's uh, let's uh, break this down. Uh, this is interesting to me because I heard bits and pieces, and the description I'm hearing is uh, the September 18th tomorrow's rally in Washington D.C. being described as a right wing rally. What do we know about this? Yeah, this is called the Justice for January 6th rally. And what it is, is supporters of the 600 or so people who were arrested for their role in the insurrection on January 6th are coming back to the Capitol building excuse me, to rally for their release and essentially uh, call attention to their arrests. Now, there's a lot of concern, obviously, about a repeat of the insurrection on January 6th. Mm-hmm. But this time around, of course, the rally is taking place on a Saturday when there's no business actually taking place inside the Capitol, no lawmakers around. The organizers 
organizers have specifically called for this to be a non-violent event. And perhaps more importantly, there are no sitting Republican lawmakers actually planning to attend. A couple of Republican candidates, but no lawmakers. We'll be watching that one for sure to see how that goes. Nonviolent. Ooh, let's hope that that's the case. Uh, let's talk about uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, California governor, because, boy, we've been talking lots about him or he- reading lots about him through the week. He survived a recall. So what's the latest now for him moving towards a reelection? Yeah, I mean, he survived the recall pretty easily by a pretty wide margin and, of course, uh, will likely be running for re-election in 2022. Um, I think it shows a couple things. One, of course, is that California has this unique recall system, but yet it wasn't successful at the end of the day, largely because I think the issues came down to pandemic management as a key one. And Californians are, generally speaking, happy with how things are going. California is doing reasonably well right now. Um, but I know people have tried to read into this and say, well, what does this mean for Democrats? and Republicans in the 2022 midterms. Don't know that you can extrapolate based on that. Uh, simply California politics are their own kind of strange little beast. Let's uh, you know, switch gears and talk about COVID-19 and the impact it's having in the country. We're having our own uh, issues here in Alberta. Um, and we've been looking down south saying, oh, look what's going on there. Now we've got the rise in cases. Mm-hmm. I wonder, are, are they still on the rise? And which areas are, are the greatest of concern if they are? Yeah, a couple things are happening here all at once. So places like Florida that were the real hotspots, they are sort of starting to decline or level off, but still at a very high place. And the U.S. is still recording about 2,200, 2,300 deaths every single day and around 160,000 cases every single day. Uh, the rise in cases, generally speaking, has, has kind of plateaued at that high level. Uh, but places like Idaho and Washington State, for example, are the new hotspots. And hospitals there are now having to ration care, determine who's getting hospital beds. Uh, They're finding that uh, patients who need critical care are unable to be transferred to other hospitals because there are simply no beds. And anecdotally, you're now hearing of people across the country dying of preventable conditions uh, like heart attacks because there are no ICU beds available for them. They're taken up by COVID patients at this point. So uh, the U.S. is by no means out of the woods on this. And I think the two sort of big questions going forward are what was the impact of the Labor Day weekend when a lot of people still traveled and got together? And what happens as children across the country now go back to school because, of course, they're too young to be vaccinated? Jackson, uh, switching gears a little bit, I'm curious as to we as we head towards Monday's federal election here in Canada, does that make any kind of noise at all for Americans? Do they even have a clue that, that we're having an election here and, and with Jason Kenney? And, and what's happening in our pr- province particularly. Do you hear that down there? No, I mean, I, I can be bluntly honest with you that it's not on the radar yeah. down here. That said, the uh, leaders debate, the English language one, was carried on C-SPAN down here in the U.S. Oh. for the political nuts like me who might want to watch <laughs> it. Uh, but no, generally doesn't make a blip. I will point out, though, that former President Barack Obama tweeted an endorsement of Justin Trudeau. Of course, they've had a longtime mm-hmm. friendship. Uh, but that's about as much involvement as you'll hear from this side of the border. Wow. I guess we'll be going to the polls. And I know that uh, as a Canadian, you have that opportunity. Can you give us an idea of how uh, I was going to say, you know, uh, transferred um, Canadian votes? What's the process for somebody like you and maybe your colleagues working down there? Yeah, essentially what happens is if you have registered as a citizen living abroad with Elections Canada, you will get a ballot in the mail. Of course, the tricky part is we don't vote directly for prime minister, right? So you're getting a ballot and you have to uh, vote in the riding where you last resided uh, and then write in the candidate. So it's a blank ballot so that you can essentially write in the name of the candidate and party in that specific riding. And then it goes in a a double layered envelope. One is a privacy envelope to, you know, remove the uh, ballot from your specific identification and, and 
that's sort of how it works. So it's fairly simple and straightforward. And I will say that based on my experience, Elections Canada is actually great about following up with Canadians living abroad, making sure they've got the right address on file. Do you want to vote? Do you want to be registered? All that stuff. So they know how to do it. Jackson, we're going to now step into the Wayback Machine and we're going to go back in time a little bit because we're talking this morning about the Toy Hall of Fame finalists. And we'd like to know what a young Jackson Prosco was playing with when he was a little kid. Was was there a toy that went, you know, really sticks in your memory that was your favorite when you were little? Oh, it was all Lego all the time. Yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> like bins and bins and bins of Lego. <laughs> That's classic. Have you ever stepped on one in the middle of the night? Oh, yeah, and yeah. I'm sure my parents did plenty of times <laughs> when I was growing up. No doubt. Okay, we'll put uh, Lego down for your vote. Thank you very much for joining us, Jackson. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Have a great weekend. You too. That is Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief. Of course, uh, lots going on south of the border. Our our news, though, doesn't usually... It's funny how That's their election is. takes over here in Canada. Mm-hmm. We get as involved almost as Americans do when I, we're having an election. Meh. Well, that it doesn't even register. 720 and the Calgary Food Bank Citywide Food Drive Pickup is tomorrow with all the details on how you can help. We're joined this morning by Shauna Ogston, Communications and Media Relations Supervisor at the Calgary Food Bank. Hi, Shauna. Good morning. This is a big weekend. I got my bag at the door. It's all filled. What do we do with these plastic bags now? Oh, fantastic. I can't believe that the Citywide Food Drive is back again. And it's so easy to participate because once you fill your bag with the non-perishable food items, you just leave them on your doorstep before 10 a.m. tomorrow, and all of our volunteers will be out to pick those up. I'm looking, Shauna, at the next question on the list, and I thought, I'll go to the next question on the list, but it really applies to me because Sue says she has her bag. I don't have my bag yet, so what can I do to, to help out? Well, now we're trying to reach every doorstep in every neighborhood, but there may be some neighborhoods that don't get the bags, but you can still participate by either donating funds online so we Mm -hmm. can purchase the items like the perishables that we need in the hampers, milk, eggs, cheese, or you can make an extra donation at the um, grocery store. Let's Mm -hmm. say you're out picking up your favorite thing. Why not buy two, put another one in a donation bin? It really will help and go a long way. Shona, you mentioned cash. Would you rather at the food bank have cash that we donate that way or food? You know, both is fantastic because there's something about the act of giving and putting that bag in the food drive bag that says, okay, I know that this is going to go in a hamper and make that difference. But donating funds is just as smart because for every dollar donated, we can leverage that into $5 worth of food and make sure that when things, stocks go low on certain items, we can purchase them. Shauna, how important is this particular drive to your year's worth of, you know, uh, doing good in the community? Is this, a, is this one of the crown jewels? This definitely is. It's one of our biggest food drives of the year, and it makes sure that our, our shelves stay nice and full because for the next couple of months, we know that the demand is not going to decrease. It typically increases in the fall through winter pre-pandemic times, and we are seeing more and more people coming that didn't expect that they would have to come to the food bank, but now we've got food on the shelves and we can help everyone. I would suspect most people who need help from the food bank never think that they're going to be there. Do you have numbers in terms of, you know, open our eyes as to how many people really are having a tough go and it can be our neighbors, people you would never expect. Oh, yes. I mean, I say, look in the mirror, it could be you. There were stats uh, a few months ago saying that we were 
most Albertans were 50% uh, of Albertans were one paycheck away. And I think the pandemic has proven that we're one mm-hmm. paycheck away from crisis. So knowing that it could be yourself, your friends or your neighbors that didn't expect this to happen, but know that the food bank is there to literally take the stress off the table so that you can deal with the other crisis in your life. And, and we're helping thousands. Last month alone, we did over 8,000 hampers, which affected the lives of over 40,000 Calgarians. One month alone. Yeah, Incredible numbers, and as an individual or a family, you can help make that difference. So thank you for taking the time this morning, Shauna. We appreciate it. We couldn't do it without Calgary, so we're so excited that everyone's participating. Great stuff. Uh, Thanks, Shauna. Have a great weekend, and uh, you know, uh, here's to success this weekend. That's Shauna Ogston, Communications and Media Relations Supervisor at the Calgary Food Bank, online at calgaryfoodbank.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.